Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. LDS church history certainly can be confusing at times, and it can even be very, very controversial. This past week, we've been talking about some articles that were found in the July 2020 issue of Ensign Magazine. It's a monthly periodical published primarily for the use of adult members in the LDS church, but it deals with these various confusing and sometimes controversial aspects of LDS history. And the thing that intrigues me the most is that some of the titles of these articles are questions that you would think have already been answered and perhaps even answered well by the mere fact that the church came out with these gospel topics essays beginning in 2013. But yet, these questions seem to go along with what those essays were supposed to answer. So I guess my question is, Eric, why is it that these questions keep on coming up? It makes me think that these essays are not really answering questions to the satisfaction of a lot of members. Otherwise, why is the church wasting so much space answering questions that they feel have already been answered? You don't really see a whole lot of the church advertising the Gospel Topics essays. Uh, we encourage people, whenever we're talking to Latter-day Saints who are asking questions about their history, we want them to go look at those. We actually have on our website a whole section that deals with those 11 Gospel Topics essays with radio shows that we had done in the past. And if you go to mrm.org slash gospel topics essay intro with hyphens between gospel topics essay intro you'll find it or you can just type in gospel topics essay intro and look at some of that but we encourage you if you're a latter-day saint check these out because while there could have been more said we think that that's a great start that the church has put those together two of the people that we have been focusing on in this series are kate holbrook and matt grow they both work with the church history department and it's their articles we've been focusing on, and today we want to look at an article that was written by Matt Groh, and his question is, why are the accounts of Joseph Smith's first vision a little different? And at the end of his small article, it's only a couple of paragraphs, he mentions for people to go to read the four accounts of the first vision in the Gospel Topics Essays. Doing so will deepen your appreciation of what happened that day. Now, as you've heard us mention many times on this show, there are differences in the accounts that Joseph Smith gives, but I'm not real enamored by the way Matt Groh explains this. What does he say there? Joseph Smith recorded or asked his scribes to record four different accounts of the first vision. The accounts tell a consistent story, but there are differences. That shouldn't surprise us. If there were complete uniformity among the accounts, that's when I, as a historian, would become suspicious because that's just not the way memory works. We see the same pattern in other accounts in history 
or in the scriptures. And then he says, see Acts 9-7 and Acts 22-9. Well, let's go back to what he said. Joseph Smith recorded or asked his scribes to record four different accounts of the first vision. I don't think it was Joseph Smith's intention to say, hey, I want you to write down four different accounts. No, he's telling the story to these individuals and they are writing it down. And he as well had written one down in his 1832 diary. But he says the accounts tell a consistent story, but there are differences. See, this is where I would challenge that conclusion. I've heard many Latter-day Saints say that. They always want to say, well, it's a, it's a consistent story. There are a few nuances to it that are different, but basically it's not as if Joseph Smith is lying about this or he's not making it up. I would challenge that conclusion. I think he made it up. And there's a lot of reasons why myself and others have drawn that conclusion. Well, we were talking off air, and we could spend a whole show or a whole week of shows on the first vision, but three main uh, discrepancies. Number one, Bill, the purpose of why Joseph Smith went in in the first place. To pray and ask God for an answer. Of course, in his 1832 account, he's concerned about the forgiveness of his sins. That's not even an issue in the official account that most Mormons are familiar with. And the reason there was he was confused as to which church was true. Not that he was concerned about the forgiveness of his sins, but he tells the story about a revival or a religious excitement that took place in the area where he lived in Palmyra, New York, in upstate New York, And because of what he thought were the different messages being preached by the ministers in this revival, he claims he was confused as to which church was true. Now, what makes this account so different as far as I am concerned is in his 1832 account, he mentions only Jesus showing up. But of course, most Mormons know that it wasn't just Jesus. It was Jesus and God the Father who shows up. I would think leaving out God the Father is a big deal. And in several of the accounts, they mention angels. Well, the LDS Church does not teach that the Father and the Son are angels, and so that seems to be a major problem. Let's also look at one of the contradictions in this story is in his 1832 account, he says that by reading the scriptures, he came to the conclusion that the sects were not true. But yet in his 1838 account, when he asks the personages which of all the churches are true, he's told that none of the churches are true. They're all wrong. Their creeds are an abomination and their professors are corrupt. In the 1838 account, he acts as if this is news to him, that he never knew this. But that's not what he said in 1832. So this isn't a detail that's merely added to the narrative. It's a flat-out contradiction. And I think that needs to be taken into account. One other issue that we were talking about is how old was Joseph Smith? Well, the official account says he was 14, but several of the accounts that were taken directly from Joseph Smith said that he was 17, 1822. And also we're supposed to believe that his going to the woods to pray as to which church was true, according to the official account was because of, as I mentioned, that revival. When did the revival take place? Joseph Smith claims it took place in 1820. There was no revival that he describes that took place in 1820. The revival he describes actually took place in 1824, which would mean it took place 
after Joseph Smith allegedly was visited by the angel Moroni and was told about the gold plates. Matt Groh also says that these different accounts shouldn't surprise us. If there were complete uniformity among the accounts, that's when I, as a historian, would become suspicious because that's just not the way memory works. I I can't help but think, how would a detective or a police officer view that statement that he made there? I can understand how different eyewitnesses might see something happen from a different perspective and give details that might be a little different. But this is Joseph Smith we're talking about. He's the one telling the story. And if you are interrogating a suspect of an alleged crime and they give you different accounts I would think that would make you suspicious, not from a suspect who gives the same account over and over again. I think you're exactly right, because a good detective will find out as much information initially when a suspect is being interrogated, and then later they'll ask the same questions and see how the story has changed. That kind of information will convict the person who's being charged with those crimes. He goes on in that last part of the first paragraph to say that we see the same pattern in other accounts in history or in the scriptures. And he gives as examples Acts 9-7, and as you mentioned, Eric, Acts 22-9. Personally, I don't think that those are two good examples to make his case, at least in this context, and explain to our listeners why that is. We have the two accounts that Paul gives when he has a vision on the road to Damascus, and the word akuo is used. This is what John Walvoord and Roy B. Zuck say in the Bible Knowledge Commentary to explain the hearing the sound and not hearing the sound of the voice of Jesus. It says, literally, that clause in 22.9 may be translated, they did not hear the sound. The NIV correctly translates the verse because the verb to hear with the genitive case may mean to hear a sound, and with the accusative case, to hear with understanding. The genitive case is employed in 9-7, and the accusative is used in 22-9. So the travelers with Paul heard the sound, but did not understand what Christ said in in 22-9. Now that might be kind of over the heads of some of the listeners, but let me just say what he's saying, that the word, depending on how it was used, can mean different things. When I say, Bill, that my wife calls out to me and I say, what? I didn't hear you. Obviously, I heard a sound, but I did not understand what she was saying. And in that same kind of way, that's how you can actually understand the difference in the two accounts using the the same word, but used different ways. So it's not really Paul telling a different story. It's a language barrier the Greek to English. It's a language barrier. We have to understand the language that Paul is using in this account, and the way he's using a certain word in that language explains what Paul is trying to get across to us. I don't think that example has anything to do with what we find with Joseph Smith. I think maybe a better example would be to do what many skeptics do with the resurrection of Jesus. We have four different Gospels. We have different takes on what the Gospel authors were trying to communicate. So we have one Gospel that says that there was an angel at the tomb. Another said there were two angels at the tomb. Many critics have pointed to that and say, well, what do you have? It's either one angel or two angels. And so if there's one, you're going to contradict the other account. And so therefore we have a contradiction. They'll do that with a lot of things that are said in the gospel accounts. But Bill, 
How many angels were at the tomb? Answer is quite simple. There were two angels at the tomb. The one gospel writer was just emphasizing the one that was having the conversation. If I said, I went to the store with Joe, and my wife says, no, you went with Joe and Bill. Well, Bill wasn't part of the conversation. I was talking to Joe, and that's what my story is about. Then I'm going to mention Joe only. I'm not contradicting myself. And I think if that was the case with Joseph Smith, we would give him a pass. But I don't think that is the case with Joseph Smith. I think he's making up this information as it goes along to where finally it culminates in the 1838 account where he throws in God the Father. Because I'll tell you, Eric, for the life of me, I don't know how you can miss God the Father being a part of that first vision. And yet he doesn't really become a part until 1838, which tells me something's wrong here. And it's not just as Matt Gross says that this is just a different account, but that is still consistent. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism. hope you've enjoyed today's edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. But did you know you can also listen to past broadcasts at your convenience? Simply go to Mormonism Research Ministries website at mrm.org. Again, that's mrm.org and scroll down to the box that says listen to the podcast. Click here and you'll find links to past shows that cover a number of pertinent subjects. Feel free to download the shows to your favorite listening device. And by all means, please share them with your friends. Once again, that's mrm.org.